Hello, hello, everyone, and welcome to the Rogue Preparedness Podcast. I'm so excited you're here listening. Woo! Uh, It is the almost, it is the almost, it is almost the holiday season. Well, it is the holiday season. As I'm recording this, it's like a few days before Christmas. And I actually um, wanted to make this podcast about currency and about trading and bartering and stuff like that and and kind of what things would be currency in an SHTF world and kind of what uh, because there there are many times in which bartering and currency has changed over the over time and not just over time but even now like sometimes when you're in uh, like an emergency or disaster happens right um sometimes you have you are actually going through bartering and trading in those emergencies and disasters in places like Venezuela and 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 places where either the economy is crashing or there's some sort of uprising or something um, sometimes currency can kind of revert back to a trading and bartering system and so I just wanted to kind of talk about that and wanted to talk about some possible trading items, bartering items. And I'm, I'm going to be talking about stuff that you're probably not going to be very familiar with. Like I'm going to be talking about, you know, real stuff that real people want and are going to need. But I'm also going to talk about currency. You know, I mean, it's currency is fascinating. We place great value on many different things. So uh, think about this for a minute. Who creates the value of an item? Let's say I have a hat. I just made this hat. I am going to assign value to this hat based on the materials, my time, the demand for this hat, right? So it's not just the materials and the demand. It's um, It's not just, I'm sorry, it's not the materials and the time. It's the demand. How in demand or unique or rare is this item? You know, when like a new TV comes out or uh, let's, for example, like when DVD players came out, they were very expensive. VHF was still, you know, a a thing. Uh, Some of my younger listeners are going to be like, VHS? (laughs) Um, Yes, there was this thing called VHS. It was a tape and you pushed it into a VHS player. Anyway, um, so when the DVD players first came out, you know, VHS was still very dominant. Um, You know, DVD players were expensive. DVDs were very expensive. I remember DVDs of movies and things being very expensive for a long, for not a long time, but for a while. And I'm, and that's kind of what made people shy away as well. It's like, oh man, it's like $40 for this DVD. And then I got to spend, you know, $400 on this DVD player. Oh, no, thank you. Right. Um, so anyway, uh, once all that started coming out, you know, the more it came out, you know, the more it was around, the the cheaper it got and that's that's kind of with anything with anything that's new unique something that is not on the market and something that is creating a a demand for it it's going to be more expensive it's you know it's just going to be expensive right out the gate because there's that demand you know people are going to pay for it look at the iphones 
every year a new iPhone comes out with, with, and sometimes it's not even like big changes, but every year a new iPhone comes out and they're charging $1,000 for this new iPhone. Why? Because they know that people are going to pay for it. They know that you're going to pay for this new phone, even if it has a tiny tweak of a new feature, even if it's, you know, I mean, there's, there is a demand for the iPhones. That's my point. So there's demand. So they're going to charge whatever they want. You know, that iPhone could charge, you know, that iPhone could cost them like 40 bucks to make and they're still going to charge $1,000. It doesn't matter, right? Yeah, it's actually interesting because the iPhone, uh, according to Apple, the iPhone 6 costs $200, $200 to build. It's actually $200.10 to build. Um, and so, you know, the iPhone 6, it costs $200 to build and they're charging, you know, $1,000, $800, anywhere, it was anywhere from $800 to $1,000 that they're uh, charging for the phone. That is a huge markup. But it's because of the demand. It's because they know that people are going to pay it. Okay. So as far, you know, when we when we think of trading and bartering, we think of SHTF situations. You know, oh, end of the world. You know, currency is going to collapse. Nobody's going to want, you know, nobody's going to want gold or silver or, you know, paper or anything, right? They're not going to want currency. And, and in general, you're right. In the very beginning of a collapse, people are still going to want money, right? So let's say that it's like the start of a collapse, but nobody knows that it's an actual collapse, right? Maybe the lights have just gone out. You know, it's a, it's a small event what it is right now. Okay, let's say you're in a grocery store. You know, that owner of the grocery store is still going to want you to pay in cash, right off the bat, most likely. Okay. And look at every other emergency or disaster where the lights go out, you know, the cash registers aren't working. Those business owners still want you to pay. It's got to be in cash, but they still want you to pay. So in the very start of an emergency or disaster, you want to have cash available, especially if you want anything, right? But as time goes on, and it could be just a few days, it could be a few days, it could be a few weeks. Um, but you know, the longer we are out of technology, and the longer we are unable to have the currency, not just produced, but you know, that that we realize that currency is just not valuable anymore, you know, food and water, those things are going to be valuable. I can't eat my dollar bill. I can't eat gold. I can't eat silver, right? And that's true. It's very true. So there's a very interesting article about kind of what happened in Spain in, um, in 2013. I am going to be kind of reading some highlights from it. So some Spaniards uh, were bartering their way through the recession. Uh, 27% of, a sh- there was a 20% of sharing economy. Um, it grew since the economic crisis hit. Um, and the Spain unemployment rate um, was uh, 55 um, among young workers. I can't, it, the, it got all messed up. With two small children and no income for the past two years, Antonio Delgado, 44, says things were so bad he had considered taking his life. Then a few months ago, Delgado found out about a group that rents small parcels of farmland cheap near his town of 
of uh, Rinconada, Rinconada, Rin, <laughs> in southern Spain. Now he's bringing home boxes of tomatoes, onions, peppers, lettuce, zucchinis, and pumpkins, but he's not selling them. Delgado and others are bartering or trading their way through a recession that has lasted years and left more than a quarter of the workforce unemployed. Tens of thousands of households have no wage earners, but they have skills and time on their hands to do work that can be traded for things they need they need but have no money to buy. So this is in 2013 that this article was written about Spain. Okay. Through just getting through a recession. Okay, they didn't have any money, but a bartering and trading system actually cropped up. And now they're able to get what they need based off of the skills that they have to trade and barter. See, a lot of times when we talk about trading and bartering, um, we talk about items, but we need to talk about skills as well. Okay, so I, I'm, I'm definitely going to be talking about items. So more recently, you know, Venezuela's economic collapse uh, the value of currency was damaged. Um, things become more expensive, far more expensive. And even if, you know, the dollar is still there or, you know, the dollar is going to rise exponentially. Let's say, you know, a carton of eggs in Venezuela is $150 while in the USA, you know, it's $1.50 or whatever, you know. Inflation is happening right now in the United States. Things are becoming excruciatingly expensive. And a lot of people are saying that is sign of being in an economic collapse. So if you if you combine an economic collapse with huge in inflation, right? People can't afford eggs. They can't afford food. They cannot afford living, right? They cannot afford basic things. So when you combine all of these things together, you're now having a um, instance of where of a trading and bartering society, okay, where, you know, this loaf of bread is going to be far more valuable than, you know, money, basically. All right. So I think some of the most valuable things are going to be things that we want, you know, that we need to survive medicine, okay? Every type of medication is going to be valuable, whether you take the medication or not, medications are going to be invaluable. Venezuela's financial collapse um, saw the value of, of medicine soar, with hospitals having to purchase medication from the black market in, market importers just to treat patients. So uh, medicine is definitely a really big commodity, um, any type of medicine. Make sure that it's as up-to-date as possible. Uh, medicine will expire, okay? Will expire on the date that it says on the bottle? No. It will have a half-life, and it probably won't be as potent, but after a while, it will just stop becoming effective, basically. So foods, um, any type of food, especially non-perishable foods, are going to be valuable, and even more so fresh foods. So like if you have a farm, um, or some sort of garden or something, and you go down and you're trading your fresh food, you know, for some sort of skill or something that you need, something else that you may need, that's going to be huge. You know, fresh food in an emergency or disaster, some sort of collapse, that's really big. So fresh produce, knowing how to garden, you know, those kinds of things, but also having those non-perishable foods to trade to these people that don't have it, especially the unprepared, right? Um, 
and in saying foods, water as well. You know, a lot of people, they may not be able to have access to clean water. Like, you know, if water isn't coming through their faucets, they have no idea how to get water. So maybe, you know, you trade them a water purification system or some tablets, or, you know, you are going to be supplying clean water to people, right? So that's, that's all a really big deal. You know, people got to eat and they got to drink, right? Um, fuel, any type of fuel, mostly though, the type of fuel that I would think would be most valuable to trade or barter would be like the propane canisters. It would be things like alcohol stoves. It would be things to, um, make fire with, um, those kinds of things so that people could cook, they could keep warm or cool. Um, and, and so I, I think those would be most valuable. I think, Fuel for generators, I don't know, would be as valuable. However, you know, generators will be needed, I'm sure, in a lot of circumstances. So if you do have, you know, like some stored gas, things like that, that would be valuable. Uh, but that's also finite, you know, and so so are the propane canisters, those kinds of things. So more more along the lines of like fire starters and, you know, other types of fuel, wood, Okay, being able to chop down wood, make wood, that's going to be valuable trade for people who either can't or don't want to do that, right? Um, Batteries are going to be a commodity. You know, people are going to want batteries for their flashlights. They're going to want batteries for their DVD players, right? For entertainment. I mean, they're going to want batteries for a variety of things. Um, And, you know, the more batteries you have, especially if you have rechargeable batteries, then you can provide the service of the rechargeable batteries plus charging the batteries. Hey, come back to me when you need them charged, right? Or you can barter a, a folding solar panel for them, right? Um, hey, you know, this is the economy that you would live in, right? Um, any type of baby supplies, baby food, diapers, wipes, clothing, and, and kid supplies as well, you know, like kids clothing, um, things like that. Now, you know, you may not want to be such a hoarder like that, but old clothing could definitely come in handy, especially in emergency and disaster situations where, you know, these families have kids who, you know, they don't have any more diapers, right? They've gone through their disposables. Well, give them some cloth diapers, show them how to clean the cloth diapers. Um, you know, of course you're bartering and trading these items, right? Um, and so, you know, the reusable diapers are going to be it, you know, and then you're going to have to probably, you know, eventually do reusable wipes as well. I was using reusable wipes for a while. I had to switch out of doing that from the RV. It was a little more difficult, but, um, reusable will definitely be the way to go. You know, it'll be easier to stock that stuff for trade items. But you know, any type of baby food, now baby food will go bad after a while, I would say it's good for like a year. So but I mean, baby food's good to eat, just mix in the baby food with like some oatmeal or something, you know, I mean, baby food, you can just eat, you know, anybody can eat the food, not just babies, right? (laughs) Um, Feminine hygiene products, 100% great trade items. Um, I would, I would do the reusable cups and things like that, but tampons are definitely going to be good. Tampons, pads, the reusable cups, any of those types of things will be fantastic, uh, for, for trade and barter and for yourself, you know, if you need them. Uh, let's see, toilet paper, obviously, toilet paper is going to be a commodity, especially for those people who 
will not and refuse to use reusable toilet paper. Now, I would say you should have cloth around or like old t-shirts or whatever to wash and reuse toilet paper, right? I know it sounds super disgusting, but I mean, that's, that is going to be important. It's going to be something that you need to think about because eventually, you know, disposable throwaway toilet paper is just not going to be around after a while. You know, you may have three months worth of supply of toilet paper, but once those three, that three months goes by, then what? Right? Even if you ration it, let's say you can ration it an extra month. Okay. Still, you know, if it's a more of a long-term thing, you know, you're going to need something that's more reusable. So having some cloth uh, squares, things like that, that's going to be really helpful. Uh, but any type of toilet paper, you know, um, also magazines and newspapers, literally anything that could be used uh, as toilet paper is going to be useful. Um, so in addition to what I was saying about medications before, vitamins are going to be really useful. Um, when people change their diet, especially when you're doing more non-perishable things and less fresh produce and stuff, you will need extra nutrients, which means that you're going to need vitamins to supplement your diet, okay? Um, you know, you can, after a while, you will start to see a decline in health because you're not getting certain nutrients that your body needs. You know, people can't survive on fish and wild edibles. You know, they need a variety of, you know, fats and calories and, um, you know, a variety of nutrients. So you have to understand what your body needs. And if you can't get it, then you need to supplement it with those vitamins. And vitamins um, will definitely be. Now, vitamins will go bad. Okay, the potency, they may not make you sick, but they just won't be as potent. They won't absorb as well in your body after a certain period of time, right? Um, so you will need to make sure that you're trading out those vitamins pretty regularly. I think it's like every two years. I think vitamins are generally good for maybe a year or two. I can't remember the exact time, but SurvivaGuard, I know that they are good for like three years. I believe it's three years. Don't quote me on that, but yeah, I'm pretty sure that's, that's good. Uh, first aid supplies. First aid supplies are going to be huge. Uh, anything from band-aids, gauze, um, you know, antiseptics, uh, the cream suture kits, um, the, the scissors, uh, any of that stuff is going to be extremely valuable, extremely valuable. Um, okay. So any type of first aid supplies and then, uh, soaps and shampoos, general hygiene, toothbrushes, um, any of the general hygiene stuff, especially like the, uh, waterless so soaps and shampoos, those are going to be really valuable because you don't have to use water with them. I've heard of people using those waterless, uh, soaps and shampoos like for years, you know, they don't ever take a shower again, mainly because they have health issues and things, but they say, you know, this is all I use and it works great. So you may want to invest in, in some of that for yourself and for trading items, right? Um, seeds. Seeds will be really good in order to help people grow their own food and to create a community. You know, like if you eventually are in a community after a while, 
you know, you're going to want to start to kind of rebuild and grow that community and be a little more self-sufficient and have a self-sufficient community of people who are growing their own food, who are procuring their water, who are helping the whole community out, you know, who are, you know, who have skills that are working and, and doing these things, you know, that don't require money, but it requires the skills and being a community working together, you know, for, for the kind of stuff. So seeds will be invaluable for sure. Tools, all kinds of tools, manual tools, uh, you know, can openers, anything that's manual, hammers, screwdrivers, nails, um, any of that kind of stuff, tarps, uh, any types of, well, tarps isn't a tool. (laughs) Um, but, uh, you know, I would, I would, then, you know, move that into household items like tarps and rope, duct tape, although I'd say gorilla tape because it's a lot uh, stronger. Um, and then lighters and matches and candles. So lighters, uh, matches, candles, things like that. Lots of that stuff. It's so, they're so inexpensive and it's so good to have just for yourself, but for trade and barter, especially, you know, um, and not just candles. I would actually store beeswax or other candle making materials you know the beeswax and the wicks um, actually store that stuff because it's it'll be easier to store that so that you can make your own candles than it will be to store actual candles but of course in order to make candles you do need a resource a heat source Uh, you know fire will do just fine in a double boiler situation so you know just as long as you have those things you're set to go um you know, kind of like what I was saying before about procuring water, water filters. You're going to want to have multiple water filters, not just for yourself, but for, you know, other other people. Um, coffee, coffee and tea, you know, that kind of goes along with the non-perishable stuff. But coffee and tea, you know, people still have vices. They still want this stuff. And, and when we're talking about vices as well, I would um, be very careful about addictive substances. You know, coffee and tea, sure, some people might, you know, be addicted, right? But when it comes to like alcohol and cigarettes and dr- other sorts of like hard drugs, things like that, you got to be really careful because if, um, you know, with addictive substances, people, if they don't get what they need, you know, like let's say somebody comes to you and they say, yeah, um, you got a bottle of whiskey? Yeah, sure. I got a bottle of whiskey. I'll trade you for, you know, I, I need a carton of eggs. Of eggs. You got a carton of eggs? No. Okay, well, sorry, right? You know, let's just say that's that's the circumstance. Okay, well, I really need that, that bottle of whiskey. Well, I'm very sorry. You know, maybe you have another skill. No, man, I just need that whiskey. Okay, well, come back to me when you have a skill or maybe you can find a friend that has a skill that can get this for you, you know, whatever right? Because you're still going to want something in return for that. Everybody does. You know, when it comes to this sort of system, there is no uh, free pass. There's no, you know, free stuff. Um, so, you know, when we're talking about this, you know, we're talking about, you know, addictive substances, and people can take this very seriously. Like, okay, well, I need that and I'm going to get it any way I possibly can, which means I'm going to come to your house. You know, I'm going to follow you home from wherever it is that, you know, you were trading from. And I am going to, I, I'm going to take it from you by force, right? That's what people are going to say. That's what they're going to, to do. 
So you have to be really careful about addictive substances, especially with hard drugs and things like that, even cigarettes. You know, people go through withdrawals with this stuff and it could be very difficult on them. And you know, if they don't have it, they're going to find a way to get it. <laughs> okay, and it could be through nefarious ways. So I would say security is going to be your top priority if you ever do get into this trading and uh, bartering, you know, society. Always be secure, always be alert, always be aware. Um, but, you know, if you do decide, you know, alcohol has other benefits, of course. It's not just, you know, to drink. It's for antiseptic purposes, you know, a variety of things. But that doesn't mean that, you know, people aren't going to want it for, you know, other things. And they're not going to, you know, do whatever they can to get it. And, you know, it could be very dangerous ways. I'm just saying, be cautious. I'm not saying don't store alcohol. I'm not saying don't store cigarettes and other hard drugs if you so choose. I'm just saying know the risks and you know, assess them and make sure that you are aware and know what to do, you know, in case things might go awry or whatever, right? Um, so in saying all that, um, you know, there's lots of things that we could, you know, store as far as item-wise, right? Lots of goods. But then we have to think about our skills. What sort of skills do we have that would be valuable in a trade and barter society? You know, can you build things? Uh, can you grow gardens? You know, um, having a garden, it, it is a skill, skill, a skill that needs to be, uh, you know, it needs to be cultivated now. You know, gardening is not just throwing some seeds in the ground and calling it good, you know. Um, you have to understand your environment. You have to understand, you know, watering them. You have to understand the soil. Um, you have to understand the type of plants that you're planting for your region, all this other stuff. Um, and not only that, but there's uh, also hunting and gathering skills, um, you know, like wild foraging, um, you know, just general hunting. You know, if you can hunt, come back, butcher it, and then sell that fresh meat, you know, smoke it up, you know, preserve it. That is a huge skill, a skill that, you know, people are going to want. They're going to want that meat, right? Um you know, whatever it is, a squirrel, I mean, who cares, right? It, you know, food is food, you know, when it comes to hungry, hungry stomachs. Um, and so, you know, that's definitely a skill that you could even trade and barter for, actually, you know, you could be like, oh, you know, um, yeah, I, I can go hunt for this, you know, squirrel for you. You know, if I bring you a squirrel, I can have that pack of cigarettes or whatever, right? Um, you know, if that's a skill you have, um, Making things is always going to be a skill. Sewing is a skill that you could trade for. You can, if you can knit a hat, if you can sew some clothes, that's going to be valuable. Um, really pretty much anything, any type of skill is going to be valuable. You know, teaching, that's going to be a skill. You know, we're still going to have children that need education. And, you know, not everybody's a good educator. Not everybody's a good teacher. There's doctors, you know, like if you're, uh, if you have medical knowledge, that's going to be extremely valuable. Uh, barter for services and goods that way. Um, just think about what kind of skills that you have. Right, I would write it all down. Okay, well, I have all these skills. And you may think, oh, no, you know, playing guitar, that's not going to uh, get me far, right? It might. You never know. Write it down, okay? Even though 
in the type of society and situations that we're talking about, like really bad situations, you know, recessions, great long SHTF situations, right? We are still talking about a society. We're still talking about people who will still need to be entertained. They will still want to eat and, you know, they still will want to have fun. They still will want to, you know, forget about their woes, you know, all these things. Um, they, it, the society will still need to function. Now, of course, it does depend on the situation. You know, maybe entertainment's not going to be high on people's list, right? But you never know. So write out all your skills and just just write them all out and just see, um, you know, what you can come up with. You know, how could you trade these skills in a trading and bartering society? Honestly, you know, I, I would just, I think that I would just totally love a trading and bartering system. I think that our lives would be just so much better. A trading and bartering system doesn't mean that you wouldn't work. It doesn't mean that you wouldn't have a purpose. It doesn't mean any of this. It doesn't mean that we'd all be nomads and vagrants and and whatever. It would just mean that we would be working towards different goals. We would be working towards a higher purpose of, you know, I'm going to have this job because, yes, I want to build this great technological, you know, advancement or whatever, because I want to be well recognized or whatever it is, right? Um, oh, there's this show. What is it called? Um, darn it, I can't remember what it's called. It's a space show by the by Seth MacFarlane on Fox. I cannot remember the name of it right now. Anyway, basically in this space show, it's way far into the future, and they got rid of money, and now they just work based and, you know, they work, everybody still has jobs, they still work, you know, just everything is on kind of like a bartering and trading and, and success factor. You have to, you, everybody wants to be successful in their lives. And that's what drives people. Money doesn't drive them anymore. And I think that um, that's how it always has been before money was even invented. People lived their lives. They made things. They hunted. They gathered. They, um, you know, they created communities. They, you know, they did all of these things for this higher purpose, for this, you know, need and desire to just live. And I think that these days, you know, we're so focused on the dollar bill that we're losing sight of what of who we are as people and who the world and what the world is around us. And, you know, that we're basically destroying ourselves from the inside out. And um, I don't think that money is the root of all evil. But I do think that as a society, we could do away with money and be perfectly fine. I think that we'd still have technological advances that we still have, but just without money, right? I think that people are driven. I think that these people who are inventing things, they're inventing things because they have that mind for it. They're not inventing. Many people don't invent things out of the sheer idea of, you know, making money, of course. But now some people are. Some people are literally saying, I want to invent something just so I can get rich and famous. That's what our society has become. I want to do this so that I can get rich and famous. Then what? You know, it's just such an empty existence, I feel like. I'm not trying to get all like hippie on you, but it's just like, you know, there's so much to this world and I just, 
I just think that, you know, our society could totally do away with money. I mean, society, so, societies have lived without money. Like I was saying, you know, societies have lived without money for a long time. So it's interesting. Scientists have tracked exchange and trade through the archaeological records starting in Upper Paleolithic when groups of hunters traded for the best flint weapons and other tools. Um, so first, people bartered, making direct deals between two parties of desirable objects. You know, that is currency. So something that we have to be very clear about currency is that there has to be a need for it, right? It's not just your need. It's their need as well. So it's the currency between two people and it's the value that you place on it and it's the value that they place on it. So there's still going to be that value system. Okay, well, I have a chicken. I think my chicken is uh, as valuable as a goat. Well, I want that goat, you know, exchange it for me. Now, that other person may not feel that way. So this is where the bartering will come in, right? Well, I don't think your chicken is as, as valuable with my goat. So give me two chickens or, you know, then you can have the goat or whatever, right? So that's where all of that comes in. Um, after bartering, money came a bit later. Its form has evolved over the millennia from natural objects to coins to paper to digital versions. You know, I mean, now we have things like Bitcoin. People are literally creating currency and it blows my mind. I mean, we created currency. We created the dollar bill. We created, you know, silver coins. We created these gold coins. We saw this pretty shiny object in the earth and gave it in increasingly high value and then we decided to exchange goods for this valuable piece of gold this valuable piece of silver that we have created value to and then they created the dollar bill all right well now this dollar you know you can now use this to buy things this little piece of paper right and then people said okay well this flower's a dollar. Give me that dollar, right? <laughs> wow, now I have a dollar. Now I can go buy things with this dollar. Hooray! <laughs> right? Um, it's just, it's fascinating. So now people are literally creating currency now, this digital currency, the Bitcoin, and uh, a bunch of other digital currencies that I don't, I don't even... It's gone so far down the rabbit hole of these digital currencies. I literally don't get it. But now establishments are accepting this digital currency. Sure, um, you can buy a car with Bitcoin. And, you know, people are accepting this new form of currency as currency outside of the dollar or, you know, whatever currency. It's crazy. It's crazy, crazy bonkers, you know, how society puts such value on certain things and says, okay, well, this can be currency now, <laughs> you know? Um, so why do people even need currency? There are many theories about the origin of money, in part because money has many functions. It facilitates exchange as a measure of value. It brings diverse societies together by enabling gift-giving and reciprocity. It perpetuates social hierarchies. And finally, it is a medium of state power. It's hard to accurately date interactions involving currency of various kinds, but evidence suggests they emerge from gift exchanges and debt repayments. Mesopotamian shekel. The first known form of currency emerged nearly 5,000 years ago. The earliest known mints date to 650 and 600 BC in Asia Minor, where the elites of Lydia and Iona, Ionia sorry, 
used stamp silver and gold coins to pay armies. Coinage as commodity money owes its success largely to its portability, durability, transportability, and inherent value. Additionally, political leaders could control the production of coins from mining, smelting, and minting, as well as their circulation and use. Other forms of wealth and money, such as cows, successfully served pastoral societies but weren't easy to transport and of course were susceptible to ecological disasters so that's a really good point there i'm i am reading from an article for sure um so that's a really good point there you know i mean a cow is not easy to transport but this coin to go buy you know whatever is easy to transport right um so that's definitely something to also uh, think about as well you know, um, that the cow is susceptible to, to die, to disease, to disasters, to whatever. So if you have, um, produce or, you know, chickens or thing or perishable things, you know, cows, any type of livestock, stuff like that. And let's say, you know, you take uh, this chicken, you're going to take it down to the market, you know, you have a more urgent need to get rid of this chicken than if you did, you know, than if you had some clothes to trade for it or for, right? Or if you had some produce, you know, I have to get rid of this produce. Otherwise, you know, I'm basically losing out because this is produce that I've just spent a lot of time, you know, curating and getting, but now, you know, I need to get something for it. You know, I need, you know, some medicine, or I need some clothes, or I need some other types of food, you know, I need some rice, I need some, you know, chicken or whatever it is, right? So, um, you know, you're going to have a greater need to get rid of perishable stuff than you would have, you know, for other things. Um, anyway, I, I think that that currency and money and how the state just the the sheer state of our lives right now when it comes to um you know what everything is given a value to you know you have to it's, it's fascinating one person or maybe a group of people gives value to this thing and now puts a price tag on it and society accepts it we say okay that uh that house is you know a hundred thousand dollars we can negotiate a little bit right Okay, well, you know, will you take $90,000 for it? Okay, sure. But still, that price tag, and we've basically accepted it. And, and because of this, in, you know, we are, our society, everything is inflating. Look at the prices in California right now. Insanity. I mean, this is how economic collapses happen. This is how recessions happen. This is how you know, our, the dollar plummets. This is how we go back to a trading and bartering society because everything inflates, but nobody's getting paid more money. You know, inflation is outrageous, but nobody can afford anything. You know, we're all working, but nobody can afford nothing, right? So this is how we have an economic collapse. And this is how, you know, we have huge inflation because nobody can afford anything. Well, okay, well, we had to make, make it more expensive because nobody can afford anything. Or we have to make it more expensive because th there's a demand for this. You know, there's a demand for houses. So we have to make them more expensive. This is literally how people's, how our society is thinking. 
there's a demand for this item, so I'm going to make it more expensive. Instead of making it affordable for people who need it, I'm going to make it more expensive because there's a demand and I can. Literally, that's it. There's a demand and I can. So anyway, I don't want to get too deep into this. (laughs) I could go on and on about how insane currency in our society is. Um, But be prepared to go back to a trading and bartering society, even if it is in your small community or something, because of a possible recession or collapse or a temporary emergency disaster, you know, hurricane situation, natural disaster situation. You know, you could revert back to this at any time. And it is important to have skills and items that we have available to us to trade for these, these goods and services that we may need. Um, And it's also important to have the skills to be able to be self-reliant so that we can rely less on trading other people for things. You know, you may not be able to produce rice, so, you know, or whatever. So, you know, you may need to go get that or whatever. All right. So if you would like to talk about this or anything else, uh, please uh, feel free to contact me at morgan at roguepreparedness.com. And if you have a question for the week, please contact me at that same email email address or uh, come contact me at Instagram, Facebook. Uh, you can just leave a comment somewhere on my YouTube, you know, whatever. Uh, just search Rogue Preparedness. You, you, you should be able to find me like anywhere. Um, yeah, and just ask me a question for the podcast or just in general. And uh, be sure to check out my website at roguepreparedness.com. And I, we're going to go into the question of the week. The question of the week actually comes from PPSWO uh, from Instagram. That's Practical Prepping SWO. And uh, his question was... What's in your IFAC and where do you carry it? So that would be individual first aid kit and where do you carry it? So that's a really good question. So real quick, I feel like this is kind of, uh, you know, with this uh, podcast because, you know, we're talking about first aid kits and stuff. And I think individual first aid kits uh, are really, really important to have. Um, Everybody needs uh, a first aid kit. Now, what I have in my individual first aid kit is uh, band-aids, gauze, I have tape, medical tape, I have my homemade salve, I have, I'm trying to actually think out the top of my head, it's in my bag that is literally right behind me. Um, that's where I keep it, by the way. My individual first aid kit is more for kind of everyday boo-boos. It's kind of like a boo-boo kit. And I have it in my backpack, which I carry with me every day. And I I use it on an almost daily basis because of my child. You know, she gets boo-boos like all the time, right? And so I'm always using it for her. And um, I, I have used it for myself a couple times. But that's basically what that's for. Uh, so boo-boos, you know, I do have uh, the gauze. And um, it's mainly bought gauze, band-aids the uh, homemade salve and then the scissors oh I have tweezers tweezers are really important for here in the south because you know the everything wants to kill you everything has little stickers and everything on it (laughs) Um, I've used the tweezers numerous times so yeah tweezers um, I believe that's it so yeah oh um, I also have um, 
it's an off-brand of a Benadryl. It's a topical Benadryl for mainly for my daughter because you know she gets bit by bugs and I'll just put that topical cream on it and for my dogs actually I've put topical itch cream when my dog got bit up by ants once that was that was horrible um and then I also have another um personal first aid kit individual first aid kit I guess um in our jeep as well that is has like three times as much stuff in it and that also has a tourniquet in it i do carry a tourniquet in my bag as well so i hope that's answered the question thank you so much for the question and if you have a question please feel free to ask on any of my social media networks or just email me at morgan at roguepreparedness.com be sure to head my website at roguepreparedness.com and for a bunch of blogs, articles, a whole bunch of fun stuff. Spend a few hours there because there's a lot of stuff on there. <laughs> Thank you all so much for listening. And I hope you have a fantastic Christmas, fantastic holidays. Merry Christmas. Happy holidays. And I'll see you before the new year. Or, you know, you can listen before the new year. <laughs> Happy 2019 still. <laughs> Thank you all so much for listening. Conquer tomorrow by preparing today. Talk to y'all later. Bye.